the hand to Jeff White, who will be delivering our word today. Good morning, Hope Church. Linda, you are more brave than I, because Linda gave us those wonderful words of the Lord's Prayer, and I've only done that one time publicly. <clears throat> I just uh, completed my 30th year teaching at Ileana Christian, but way back when I was a student, my senior year, it was the month of May, and I thought, um, here, we're coming to a close of the school year. This is great. And then a couple people from chapel committee said, would you introduce chapel? And I thought, sure. And I've done that a couple times where if you remember, if any of you went to Ileana Christian, we would have chapel on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And uh, you would introduce the speaker, you would open with prayer. And I thought, in four years at Ileana Christian, I never heard in chapel the Lord's Prayer. So I started giving the Lord's Prayer and forgot it halfway through. I mean, there's a lot of us who, who know the Pledge of Allegiance. A lot of us can sing the national anthem, but if somebody said, okay, tell me the Pledge of Allegiance, tell me the national anthem, recite it right now, you'd freeze. And I froze there, giving the Lord's Prayer, and halfway through, I just said, for Jesus' sake, amen. <laughs> so I've never done that publicly, but you did that today. Good job, Linda. Today, we look at the story of Ruth. And it's kind of interesting because, as I said, I just finished up my 30th year at Ileana Christian. And we had our very first week of summer break this week. It was kind of nice getting away from the, the classroom, and we still have nine weeks left to go before we have to return. And it's kind of nice not hearing this phrase because every single day during the 180 school days that we have, I hear this every single day. Mr. White, I'm going to be gone on Wednesday. I have a doctor's appointment. Am I going to miss anything important? No, no, you're going to miss nothing important. We just don't do anything important here, and Wednesday is going to be one of those days that we certainly aren't going to do anything important. <laughs> or it's exam time. Mr. White, here's the, here's the study guide. Um, is this all I need to know? Do I need to know anything else? It's a study guide. Yes, you need to know everything. This helps you. You know, I sometimes think about that when I think about our God, our God who has created this incredible universe. <coughs> And I'm sure that you hear as well as I do every time now and then a news report about some new galaxy that was discovered. How many elements that we don't have on this planet might be on another planet? What kinds of things take place in faraway galaxies that this God of ours created? And it's going to take eternity for us to know about our mighty God. But he says, here's my word. This is what I want you to know now. So if we ever went up to God and said, is there any part of this that I really need to focus on? What is God going to say to us? All of it. All of it you need to focus on. God, is there anything really important in here? Any Something more important than other? No. It's what I gave you. It's what I gave you to use now. And so today we look at the story of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1 and 2. In two weeks from now, we'll look at Ruth chapters 3 and 4. And maybe it's been a while since you've read the book of Ruth. I encourage you to do that maybe this week. Read Ruth 1 and 2 over again. But today we are looking at return and renewal, the story of Ruth. Because it's a unique story. It's a story that has been told and retold for 3,200 years. 
Think about it, people of God. This happened 3,200 years ago, and we're still talking about it today. Why? Because it's important. It's important to look at the story of Ruth. Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Let's begin looking here at verse 1 of chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Moab was an awful place. Moab was a place full of sin and debauchery. So God's people were never ever to leave the land. When God brought them into the land of Canaan, he said, this is your land. This is your territory. I will provide. You don't need anything else. But there's a famine. Lord, I got to figure out a way to feed my family. So I'm, I'm going to depart from what you told me to do to go try to find a make a way on my own. And I'm going to the country of Moab. That's what happens here when the judges ruled. People were leaving Israel and going to Moab. Let's go back to that time period of the judges. What, what happens during this time period of the judges? The people of Israel, they fall away from God. And then they're called to repentance. God gives them a judge. God delivers them. And things are good for a while. And things get too good to where they lose sight of God, and they fall into that slump again. And then God pulls them out, and then they fall into that slump. It's a cycle that gets repeated for over 250 years. As we continue, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. As the prophet Samuel is writing this, he says this word a couple times. He says, lived there. They're not just going there for a short time. They are living there. They're setting up residence. They're making a life for themselves there. So in a sense, they're living in disobedience. They leave Bethlehem, which was known as the house of bread, to go look for bread elsewhere. As we continue... Here's a picture. Many of you probably remember these images of the Great Depression. A few weeks ago, we were covering the Great Depression in my history class, and I showed you know, my students these pictures, and I said, what comes to your mind when you see pictures like this? And the kids look at this, and they say, despair. <coughs> That's right, despair, heartache. Next picture. Maybe you remember that story of the Grapes of Wrath and the Jode family leaving Oklahoma and trying to find some kind of promised land in California and all the problems that they go through along the way. These people lived at a time in that Great Depression where they didn't know if there was going to be any light at the end of the tunnel. When we look at this, you know, not even quite 100 years later, we look at the Great Depression and we say, well, there's going to come a time where World War II is going to come about and they're going to come out of the Great Depression and then we'll hit the 1950s and there'll be prosperity again in, in America. At this time, these people didn't know what was happening next month. So in a way, there's part of our human experience that empathizes a little bit here with Naomi and her family. But really, when it comes down to it, they weren't supposed to leave the land of Israel. Let's talk about Moab again. When we look at Moab, the Moabites were descendants of Lot. You probably remember Lot. He was the nephew of Abram. And what they did is they worshipped the god Chemosh. 
who was a horrible deity. Some Bible scholars and some historians believe it was the same nature as, as the idol Baal. Well, what did these people do? These people sacrificed their babies in the arms of Chemosh. That's what kind of people they were. And they weren't that far away from Bethlehem. Now, it takes you about 30 to 60 miles to get over into the land of Moab, depending on how you go. You're going to have to kind of go around the Dead Sea. So on the next slide, if we take a look at here, we see where Bethlehem is. <coughs> and with, when you're in Bethlehem and you have to go to the kingdom of Moab, you kind of have to descend about 3,000 feet and then come back up another 3,000 feet until you get to the plains of the kingdom of Moab. And in order to do that, it takes quite a few days' journey. It's not a simple walk. So when you leave the house of bread to go to Moab, you're leaving a lot behind. It's not just going to be a simple return if things don't work out. You are going there with the intention of being a part of those people. And that's what Naomi and her family were. As we continue looking here at... Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, God made some really, really strong dictates for dealing with the people of Moab. See, when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and they're coming into the promised land, the Moabites were kind of dirty. They snuck up behind the Israelites and attacked them. So there was a lot of hatred towards the Moabites for generation after generation. And in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, it says this. God says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. It's pretty strong language. And Naomi and her two sons are going to go to Moab, and they're going to intermarry with two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And that was pretty much forbidden. Now, there are some exceptions in the Mishnah, which is a, a book about Jewish traditions, but it was pretty much socially unacceptable to marry into the Moabite people. In fact, I don't have it up here, but please indulge as I read here. This is Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 3. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess... And he drives out the, before you the many nations, the Hittites, the Gersherites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the seven nations larger and stronger than you. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serving other gods. Pretty strong language. As we continue with the story, we look at verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about ten years, both Nahon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left with her two sons, without her two sons and her husband. All those hopes that she had, all those thoughts of protection did not materialize in the land of Moab. Moab, the land of Moab, is going to leave her destitute with nothing. No namesakes, nothing to carry on the lineage. In fact, this family is on the edge of extinction. As we continue reading in verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, 
she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return. And return is also another word meaning arose. Return home from there. This word return is something we want to look at here for the next few moments. Because this isn't just a simple returning. This isn't, isn't going to Indiana Dunes for a day and saying, I'm going to return later tonight. This word return is an active verb here in the Hebrew language. Sometimes it means shove or shove. And what it means is it means to do a total 180. That's right, a total turnaround. Not a simple just coming back. As we continue, next slide. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living. That's right, living again, where she had set up a life for herself, where she felt comfort and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah to return, to come back. We all know of the story of the prodigal son. In the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal returns to the father. But for 1,200 years, the prophet Samuel writes about this prodigal daughter coming back. And this is what the people of Israel read for a 1,000 years of this prodigal. She's coming back. She's coming back in place. She's coming back physically, but she's also coming back spiritually. She's being restored. She's turning around. She's doing a total 180. She's repenting, and she wants to come back. And that's the beauty of this entire message. This message just drips with God's sovereignty and God calling you when we take a look here at God calling back and the shuv, we see other points of scripture that are so important, that so intertwine with it. When we look at other parts of scripture, we see God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. We oftentimes think of repentance as feeling sorrow and feeling hurt or feeling ashamed, and it is. But in the shuv, in the word that's used here in this part of, of Ruth, we see more than that. In this part of Ruth, we see the shuv, meaning God is repenting you. Think about that for a moment. It's an active verb. God is repenting you. God's moving in you to will and to act. Repentance, we oftentimes don't think about it as a gift from God. We think about daily food. We think about... You know, health, being healed from di disease. We think of God oftentimes blessing us with giving us, you know, grandchildren and, and children. Those are great gifts, but repentance is a gift. When we take a look here, and we think about what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 1. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, you were dead in your sin. When you're dead in your sin, you can't do a thing. When you're a dead body, you can't do a thing. You can't raise a hand. You can't blink. You can't, you can't breathe. And when it comes to our repentance, it's all about God repenting us. God bringing us to repentance because we're dead in our sins. We can't do it alone. And what is God doing? God is doing what it says in Philippians 2, verse 13. In Philippians 2, verse 13, it says, he works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God works in us to move us because we're dead. 
We can't move ourselves. And what is God doing here? God is moving Naomi to come back to the promised land. He's doing the 180 on her. He does the 180 on you sitting in this room today. Don't think for some moment that, hey, I come to repentance on my own. I, 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 I say, sorry, Lord. I realize I've done wrong. And I No, it's God working in you that brings you to repentance. It's his gift of saying, I want you to be a part of me. So I'm moving you to be a part of me. And that's the story here for our own life. That's the story of the prodigal. If you have been in a distant land, you are able to come home. You're able to come home. In Isaiah 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, they shall become like wool. What we see here is we see Naomi being a prodigal and realizing she's got to go back. So as we look at the next slide, the question for us is, have we wandered too far away from God? Have we gone into Moab ourselves? Have we gone through God's washbowl? We all have. And that's why in Genesis 28, verse 15, those powerful words where God says to us, when you leave, I'll bring you back. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever typo there sorry wherever you go and i will bring you back to this land i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised that's the, what god's promise is to all of us and so in philippians 1 verse 6 being confident of this he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus what is it that we see here we see a return but it begins with god Let's go back to verse 6 again. Next slide. Because I kind of passed over this the first time. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return. That word aid is another interesting Hebrew word. It means pakad. And what is pakad? Pakad means that God comes and looks for his people. God comes and attends. Because what had happened? While Naomi was away in Moab, the people of Israel had repented. And no longer were there marauders invading their land. No longer was there destitute people. Now God is showing his favor. God is coming to the Pekad. He's coming to the people of Israel. And what does Naomi say? Naomi says, I want that again. I want to go back and be that, be that person that I was meant to be. Once again, she's this prodigal returning. Next slide. So that word pakad, to look for, to attend. And so often, we think about how we don't fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes too much on our circumstance. What happened with Naomi and her husband originally and her two sons? We're looking too much at our circumstance. And we got to get out of here. And we got to go to Moab. Instead of looking at what God had promised. And I think about the prodigal. And I think about what Katie uh, actually played in her prelude today. Maybe some of you are familiar with that song, Run to the Father. Because that's what she was, that's what she was playing. 
in that song, Run to the Father, that some of you are familiar with, it says, I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father. Do any of you know the song? Again and again and again and again. So now Naomi has to go back. Think about what's going to happen when she goes back. When she goes back, I'm sure there's going to be people in the land who say, where have you been? We've been sticking it out. Where did, you, where did you go? Oh, you fled. She's going to have to possibly go back and face that music. And that's wrong. Because if we truly believe in God's sovereignty and that God repents us, and so God is moving in Naomi to go back, what are we to say we can't take you back? Think about that, people of God. If there are people in your lives who are prodigals, who are coming back, it's God moving in them. And you have no right to say, I'm not taking you back. Because then you're going against the will of God and the sovereignty of God. As we continue with verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each one of you, to your mother's home. Mother's home. That's right. Usually in that culture, it was the mother that could make the arrangements, that had the connections on somehow bringing apart uh, marriage and those different little connections in which you might bring about a courtship. Go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with your people. As we continue in verse 11. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even though if there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, continue, would you still wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. <clears throat> then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Even though Naomi is ready to repent and return, she still has a lot of growth. Think about what Naomi's doing. Orpah, you want to come with me to go worship my gods? You just go back to your family. She's got a lot of growth still left in her. You're sending her back to Moab? To those people? But Ruth replied. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn away back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And so there I will be buried. Think about that. What is Ruth saying to her mother-in-law? She loves her mother-in-law so much, she's saying, I want to be in eternity with you. If this is the plan you've chosen, I'm in. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. 
What is Naomi saying here to her daughter-in-law? What's her daughter-in-law's response? Think about the beauty of what Ruth is saying. Ruth is being moved by God. Ruth is being moved to say, I will go with you. Jesus, when he called all of, his, all of his apostles, this is what he wanted every one of his apostles to say to him. Lord, I'm following you wherever you go. Lord, where you go, I will go. <clears throat> Think about that in this church. When somebody makes profession of faith, when somebody stands up in, in, in your congregation and says, I want to make profession of faith, they're looking at everybody around them and saying, I want your God to be my God. I want to be in eternity with you. Think about that. Every time somebody stands up and professes their faith publicly, they look around to the people of God and they say, I want to be with all of you in eternity. I want to die where you die. It's a beautiful thing. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Continue. Chapter 2. In chapter 2, they come back to the land. In chapter 2, it's time to make a, some kind of provisions for yourself. And fortunately, it's the harvest feast. And so here's a man, Boaz, who has quite an extensive property. But Boaz is a man of great standing. Boaz is a landowner. Boaz is a hands-on boss. And Boaz follows God's law. How does Boaz follow God's law? Here's the harvest, and he has his men come through and cut down all the harvest and bundle it into sheaves. And then what does he have? He's got the next set of combine coming through. He's got now women who glean all the leftovers. But then what does Boaz do? Boaz follows God's law. See, when the children of Israel came into Israel, God, saw, God said there should be no beggars in Israel. People of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, there should be no beggars among us. None. We have an obligation to take care of each other. But on the same token, it wasn't going to be a handout to Ruth. Uh-uh. The biblical mandate was go and glean your fields and leave the edges for the poor. The poor were supposed to come in and have some skin in the game. The poor were supposed to come in and cut down and glean for themselves. It will be provided for you, but you've got to do a little work yourself. This is the way that God is going to continue his people. God's very own protection of his people by providing for them. And Boaz is incredibly kind to Ruth. He sees what Ruth has done. He sees how hard she works, how she brings this food back home to her mother-in-law, a prodigal. And he's very impressed with this unconditional love for Naomi. So he calls Ruth over and he has a conversation with her. And yes, much of, the, much of this book of Ruth, I think of, of the 86 verses in Ruth, well over 50 of these verses are just dialogue going back and forth. But we learn so much from this story. And what does Boaz say to Ruth? Boaz says to Ruth, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, 
I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. Notice what Boaz is doing here. Boaz knows that she has come with the prodigal. That she has returned with her mother-in-law. And when she's returned with her mother-in-law, he doesn't ask her, hey, what was life like before when you were there worshiping Chemosh? How was it when you grew up? You know, Were you in a family that worshipped these idols? Tell me about that. Tell me about your former husband. Tell me about your, you know, your five points of Calvinism. Tell me about whether or not you dip Easter eggs on Sunday. No, he doesn't ask her any of that stuff. What he asks her and talks to her about is how great it is that she wants to be a part of this family. And Hope Church, is that how welcoming you are? When somebody comes in or a prodigal comes back into your life, do you ask what all happened? Or do you say, come on in, and we are so thankful that you want to be part of God's people? That's what's happening here. Boaz And Boaz, he knows a little bit about this kind of stuff. Because if we think about who Boaz has in his history... I think you just have to remember that story in which the spies were going into the promised land. When the spies were going into the promised land, there was this prostitute. Her name was Rahab. And if you remember the story of Jericho, what did Rahab do? She hid the spies, and then she says, when you come to destroy the city, I want to be a part of you. I want to be a part of what you have. And what the spies tell her? Lay out a scarlet cord. And when the city is destroyed, you will be saved. In Boaz's history, he has his own prodigals. In Boaz's history, like our history, we have our own prodigals, our own people that want to say, I want to be a part of that. And so, yes, in Boaz's history, he has his great-great-grandmother, Rahab and his great-great-grandfather, Salome. So he knows a, a thing or two about acceptance. He knows a thing or two about wanting to repent from your evil ways. When the story of Ruth kind of concludes with chapter 2, we see a few things about Ruth. What we see about Ruth is the following. Please advance the slide. We see that Boaz comes to her and Boaz says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Now some of you know how the story ends. You know that Boaz and Ruth are going to come together and they're going to get married. And their great-grandson is going to be the great King David. And that great King David is going to write most of the Psalms. And what does he write in many of the Psalms? In many of the Psalms, David talks about the God who shelters us under his wings. The God who shelters us under his wings. It's kind of interesting. Did David learn that as it was passed down from his father and grandfather and great-grandfather? Maybe some of you right now are sitting here thinking, there was that one phrase my grandmother always said, 
Or I can hear my grandpa's voice in my brain right now when he always used to say, mm-mm-mm. Think about that. What does Boaz say? Boaz says the line, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Welcome. You know, the prodigal son story, the prodigal was not happy in the pig pen. The prodigal was not made for the pig pen. All of us are prodigals. We are all not destined for the pig pen. My wife and I, we have a, a little spot here in Moments, a little campground that we have a seasonal site. And a few weeks ago, I saw a lot of the migratory birds flying back, you know, for the, flying back south for the, uh, the spring and the summertime. And when I do a little studying on these migratory birds, it's interesting. They have this innate instinct, some kind of either internal way to recognize magnetic fields or some kind of odor receptors that make them know where they're destined. What makes us know where we're destined is the power of the Spirit. And we weren't meant to be prodigals. We're not happy being prodigals. Maybe some of us in this room, maybe some of us in this room, we don't have that big, big shoe, that big, big turn. But our lives go through plenty of them. And what happens with plenty of them? God calls us back. Think about when my wife was diagnosed with cancer. You go into that funk. You go into that, into that pit. And what does God do? He brings you back. The shoe takes you back. Because the Bacad, he is with you. He is there. He is giving you aid. Isaiah 43, verse 1. We see the following. Next slide, please. But now, this is what the Lord says to me. Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, and you are mine. We sang in a song earlier this morning, prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But what does God say to us? Time and time and time again, I formed you. Do not fear. I redeemed you. I know you by name. I know and you are mine. You are my prodigal. I'm bringing renewal. Naomi and Ruth are a lot like us. Lost husbands, lost sons, lost hopes, lost dreams. But they did have that conversion process. The Spirit called them to seek refuge under His wings. And that's why we say over and over, we run to the Father again and again and again and again. So as we wrap up Ruth, we see a few things about Ruth. Next slide, please. We see Ruth's decision. We saw Ruth's resolve today. We saw Ruth's service today. We saw Ruth's devotion today. What we didn't see was Ruth's claim. What we didn't see was Ruth's reward. And that's coming in two weeks because that's the love story. That's the love story of Boaz and Ruth where we see Ruth's claim and Ruth's reward. May we look at our own lives, and as we look at our own lives, may we so often remember that it's about return and renewal and coming back to the Father again and again 
and again. And may all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and we ask, Lord, that if we need to do 180s in our life, we do them. That you call us back, because it's you working in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure. For we are dead in our sins, and we can't have this gift of repentance unless you move us. Bring us the pakad. Aid us, Lord, to bring renewal and to accept those who need renewal. Because it's not always about us. It's also about accepting those who want to come back, who want to find refuge under your wings. May we allow those people to find refuge and to show them how that refuge takes place. Because the story of Ruth and Naomi, Lord, it's a story you wrote for us. There's plenty of ways you could have told us, the, told us this message, but you chose this way. So we thank you, Lord, for the book of Ruth. May we learn more from it. In your name we pray. Amen. During her time with um, Naomi as her mother-in-law, I'm sure Ruth heard many times about God, about his fatherhood. Uh, but she wanted to experience it for herself. And perhaps you too have heard many things about God, but you may not know him personally. Well, this next song is for all of us um, as, we, as we figure out more and more in a personal way that our God is our Father and our God is good to us because that's who he is and he loves us because that's who we are. Let's stand together.
people of God. Lord, like a lamp on a hill, we pray that in your will we reveal all of you that we can. May all God's people said...